This is Inner Healing Paths podcast. Here we discuss the healing of the mind, body, soul, and spirit through a variety of different paths. We have emotional and spiritually minded conversations centering on ancestral healing, psychology, astrology, yoga, meditation, magic, and indigenous spiritual practices of the world. I am your host, Rosa Shetty, and I am so happy you are here. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Rosa. For this episode, I invited Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. Prisca is a storyteller, a public theologian, and a feminist. She is also the best-selling author of the book titled For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. In her conversation, Prisca shares how her writing has helped her healing journey and how she has been able to navigate and heal concurrently as she has shared her writing publicly. Prisca talks about being born and raised in Nicaragua, and we also talk about connecting with our inner child through the practice of writing. If you find this episode helpful and healing on your journey, don't forget to subscribe, share it with a friend, and review it wherever you listen to my podcast. I also want to invite you all to sign up for my Patreon community of Inner Healers. This is a space for you to learn different ways to heal from trauma. I get to present and share a topic with you, and I also get to meet you and learn your story, and you can ask me questions, and I offer some gentle guidance and support while we are together. This is $10 a month. The meetings are recorded, so if you can't attend live, you can always listen to the replay. I will have a direct link in the show notes if you're interested in signing up. Also know that this episode does not treat or diagnose any physical or mental health condition. This episode does not substitute for healthcare or mental health services. Guests have a right to share their opinion and perspective, and this does not constitute an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. So I will leave you now with my interview with Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. Take a listen. Welcome, Briska, to the Inner Healing Paths podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, thank you for for being willing to share your time and your wisdom with us. (laughs) What what wisdom? (laughs) You are. You are very wise. I read your book. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you. And congrats on the paperback release of, of your book. I know that's a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It it like, yeah, it, it, it means the book can get to a lot more places too. It's cheaper. So yeah. Yeah. And it means that your book did really, really well. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, so to start off, tell us a little bit about, about you and, you know, the, the work that, that you put out into the world. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I, 
about me and what I do in the world. So I'm a writer by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. I, yeah. um, I very much bought into a lot of, you know, like the American dream narrative, the good Christian daughter narrative, the make your parents proud. That's the most important thing in life, which is like, it is important, but our own happiness is also mm-hmm. important and it shouldn't be yeah. in conflict with that. So I kind of bought into a lot of these stories, these narratives I was told were the end all be all. And um, I found myself at 28 with my life crumbling around me, Uh, a marriage that was ending because um, I, it was, it wasn't my choice. It was Mm. my parents told me I had to get married to leave the house and I just did it. And I picked someone that they wouldn't object to, um, not someone that I necessarily, I wasn't sure even what I wanted at that time. I was too young at 23 to know what I wanted, but mm-hmm. yeah, at 28, everything was crumbling and I found myself lost. And when I called my parents for solace, they blamed me for my divorce because I grew up in a very patriarchal household. That's why the narratives that I had were mm. what they were. Right. And, uh, I was like, this can't be it. Like, this isn't, this can't be that I'm too smart for men, for a man to love me. Like this can't be the, the, the wisdom that I'm being passed down or the little mm. words that I'm being told as I'm in an inflatable mattress in a basement. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, okay, so I lost it all. I lost the respectability. Mm. I lost the good, you know, I was mi mami's testimonio. Yeah. <laughs> I lost all of yeah. the things that I had attached so much of my personality to. And I was like, okay, it's time to decide what that looks like for me. And it started online in a very intense way. <laughs> I just started mm-hmm. posting and talking and being just, I was like, what does it mean to have a sexual liberation, having grown up conservative Christian? And I just started writing about it. I started to talk about respectability politics. And through that, um, through captions on Instagram, I was discovered by the Huffington Post. And then the rest is kind of history. I write books to help people make sense of their lives Mm -hmm. as they're potentially also in situations that I was in. Absolutely. And your book for brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts, I just want to put the title out there. Um, <laughs> just, you know, I, I, I have to say, I, I, I listened to the book last year, around actually around this time. And I don't think I had ever really uh, noticed or was aware of, I mean, I, so many of the things that you, that you described, it's almost like it was the water that I was in <laughs> and so many of the concepts that you shared intertwined with your story. And you, you just shared a little bit of, of that story. It's just, I just felt so seen in your story. I just felt like, and, and I do have to say that, you know, you know, just the, the, the part of where you described your, your marriage crumbling and, you know, you and just all of that journey, you know, is something that, that I, that deeply resonated with me. And I had not seen a memoir with such concepts intertwined, you know, it, so it was such a learning experience, but also a very emotional 
experience for me because I was able to see myself in your story. So I'm sure you get that a lot because you share so many stories and it's like so many of us, you know, brown girls, we can see ourselves through some of the stories. So thank you for that. For me, it was just a, a, an eye opener, to be thank honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of been part of my healing journey, to be honest, because mm. I, when I was started writing, I didn't, I was writing to like, keep myself from dying. Yeah. And so many people started reaching out. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I'm not alone. And it doesn't have to be this hard. Absolutely. And that was like very much another accident. It was yeah. the thing that was going to keep me alive was saying it all out loud. And then to find out that it was so rampant. Absolutely. It was like fetal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you mentioned uh, this can't be it, you know, that this is something that stood out to you during this time. And I think that so many women in general, and so many of us just feel at certain points in our life when, especially when we're not, when everything's, you know, coming down and everything is spiraling, it's almost like this question comes up as such a, human question right when when it, it to indicate i i feel like it's just uh, a question to that's pointing us to the, that hope that even though it's a question but it's also an affirmation yes yeah. <laughs> so yeah and and i know that that was something that um that you know was very much throughout your book that that questioning of what's what's next what's out there what's what is it that that is there for me? Yeah, and if every model that I've seen around me isn't it, then how do I define that for me? Mm. And and in community with people, mm. I think even if that community didn't look like what we're told it's supposed to look like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you, because this podcast is about healing from just a variety of different paths and writing is definitely a profound and huge path and source of so much healing. And I'm wondering for you as, as an accidental writer and now a published author, you know, how has your healing journey been, how has it unfolded or, you know, how has it been side by side with your, with your writing career? Yeah. Um, well, it definitely hasn't been linear and it's been, <laughs> really interesting because I almost have been healing with an audience Mm. because I started writing these captions 2015 and my first piece that went viral with the Huffington Post was November of 2015 and the Mm. attention was like immediate Um, I started getting flown to different universities immediately. Mm. Like it was like, there was this need that I was filling, but I was still in the thick of Mm. what does it look like? I Mm. I wasn't writing from a speculative place of (laughs) uh, like, not even speculative. I wasn't looking back Mm -hmm. at my healing. I was in the, I was in all of it. In it, Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I had to do it with a lot of eyes and I know that I've, 
I've had to learn along the way <laughs> and yeah. I've had to almost it's forced me to check on things that maybe would have taken longer to look at yeah. like reactivity to stuff when people because we're in the era of there's a lot of people having careers online now and so people feel yeah. um entitled to people that they follow or people that they uh they're consuming and so when people would tell me I don't like that you did that that reactivity of being told mm. how to live my life in a very Christian household like that trauma would get triggered and I would react in ways that weren't fitting <laughs> that scenario and so I just I had to figure all that out I have a great therapist I do I still do therapy bi-weekly I do group therapy weekly. <laughs> I have really good community that kind of yeah. grounds me because yeah. it sometimes can be really hard to be someone that people assume is healed. Mm. And I, I have to, I, whether I like it or not, I have to present myself in a very distinct, now that I know people are looking, I have to be very yeah. careful. And that mm. containment yeah. of all of that is really hard and so yeah. it's it's having a lot of good people around me to remind me that that my shit stinks and <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. uh, that things are hard it's okay to not be strong it's I, I I almost get put back into these places of trauma that I grew up in where I had to be mm. the perfect pastor's daughter the the responsible strong immigrant oldest daughter and mm. and it's just it's a lot of work and some days are great other days are terrible mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but I've learned to give myself a lot more grace I think the beginning was hard but yeah. I'm in a better place than I've ever been which is good in that now that the book is out in the world <laughs> yeah. yeah I I was prepared for it as opposed to people who kind of skyrocket overnight mm. I got to kind of slowly figure this out yeah I know I, I love that and you know one of the things that you said is that people assume you are healed because yeah. you're because you you share so much about your healing journey and your words are so wise and so it, it just people connect with that and that's a lot of pressure you know, to, to have to, so I can understand how you're becoming more, it sounds like you're becoming more intentional yeah. with what you put out there, but still balancing, staying real and genuine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a tricky place. Yeah, no, I, I, I can imagine. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm by profession, I'm a, I'm a therapist and I, a lot of my clients, you know, they also, I, and so I can understand a little bit what you're sharing because a lot of my clients, they also, they assume, you know, mm -hmm. that because I, help people recover from trauma and that's you know that I've healed all from all my traumas and that's absolutely not the case you know and, and like you I've been healing you know in my journey as a therapist because I started very young so I definitely you know it's was not there then and I'm not there now and I don't know if I ever will be but I've been better you know yeah <laughs> and I think that's that's what it's about right is moving forward moving yeah. forward from that place yeah 
Yeah. It, you know, when it comes to, to your book, I, I do want to say that it just, all of it felt so much, um, you know, like speaking to my, to my inner <laughs> child. And I know it even, you know, it's a letter that you've, it's almost like a, this long letter for, for brown girls. And throughout your book, you, you talk about little and I wanted to ask you how, you know, just in that journey of writing it, how was that relationship with the child within you? Did it grow? Was it already there? Or did it develop during your writing? You know, how was that for you? It actually happened really organic. Um, mm. When I was doing a lot of, when I was starting a lot of the healing work, that's where I started was writing to little Prisca, Priscilita, mm. and I just, because I'm cruel to me, my inner dialogue is really cruel. Mm. But if I look at a picture of me, there's like a particular age range of like mm -hmm. six to 12, that I can really tap into a lot of tenderness for myself that otherwise I don't. And it resonated. I don't know. <laughs> I think because a lot of people yeah. the same, like if I had just mm -hmm. talked about my current self, there may have been people who were resistant to it, but because they saw, I was constantly, a lot of my articles, if you look them mm -hmm. up, there's pictures of little me in a lot of my articles. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think it, it took people's guards down yeah. to, to listen and to do the work of reflecting on their own stuff. Yeah. But it happened really organically because it was this, I couldn't find gentle, kind words for myself, but I could always find it for Priscilita. Oh, yeah, I, lo I love that. I know your Instagram is also a picture of, of you as a, as a child. So <laughs> it's so sweet. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, and, I, and I love the concept of, of using your picture to almost as a visual, right, to set a tone for yourself, for others when they approach your work. Yeah, yeah. and... I don't know about you, but mm -hmm. at least when it started my writing career, it was 2015 mm -hmm. and there wasn't, you know, all these diverse no. media, even mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, pages or me, like Me Too wasn't around like that, mm -hmm. um, like Refinery29, the R29 Somos wasn't around. There were very mm -hmm. few outlets like ours mm -hmm. and even less that you saw women mm -hmm. leading and so for me it's both like yes put your guard down this is a little girl mm. but also she looks like you she doesn't mm. look like what you've been told is innocence mm. or should be taken care of in this country she looks like your cousin or your niece or you when you were little. And that was also important in that process. Yeah, and it's, it's a powerful, powerful message to send. And I read it in, all right, sorry, I listened in another podcast that you were part of that you had to actually um, like stand up for that title, to, to keep the word girls in the title, that, yeah. that there was a, some pushback on that. Would you yeah. mind sharing a little bit of, about what that was about? Yeah, the white feminist movement mm -hmm. is really has this thing around being infantilized, which I understand. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. um, there is a way to talk about women as girls and never as women. And, you know, boys are born men. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and I think that 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 is an injustice but it is it is like not my injustice because little me did need a lot of nurturing little me did get left behind little me wasn't encouraged and I do a lot of child work and so I was like I don't care if you think it's patronizing <laughs> I think yeah. it's important that people understand and and remove themselves from like me I like me I I think mm-hmm. a lot about my inner dialogue and I know I'm not the only person walking around with all this trauma that I received at five <laughs> right. so it was like it needs to be girl it needs to be Nina. It needs to be what I think my audience needs, even if a white woman feminist lens might tell you that that's patronizing. It isn't to my audience. Yeah. And it hasn't been. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I love that. And and, and it's just, I, I think it's important to, you know, just that story alone is like, there's, um, intention right behind uh, a lot of these things that you're talking about is not just throwing there's a, it was a very intentional word that represented so much of that of your own journey and also the journey that that so many of us are are on right now yeah, yeah. I mean in my ideal world my cover would have mm-hmm. had a little picture of me yeah <laughs> absolutely I I love that I could see it I could tell it I just have the visual of your Instagram picture I'm like I could totally see that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like uh, a Polaroid and then I think that would have given it even more oh there you go rip. yeah absolutely yeah. well I'm sure there'll be opportunities for you never know yeah. <laughs> to, to definitely put that picture on a front cover. And, you know, wanted to also, one of the things that has struck that, well, when I read your book, um, one of the, you, you know, that you shared about so many people in your life and the community and people that have helped you. Uh, and you, you talk about a particular professor uh, that just really showed you about mujerista or um, I forget the word in English. Is it womanism? Womanism, yeah. yeah. And and she just seems like a force of nature. I mean, she just seems like a powerful, powerful woman. And, and do you, so, can you share a little bit more about how that presence at that point in your life helped your healing? Even though I know it wasn't necessarily related to the emotional healing, but it sounds like there was so much healing that happened just by just being in her class around her for for the for that time yeah and not only it wasn't she wasn't only like stimulating me and teaching mm. me a lot but she also walked in the classroom with like the longest lashes you've ever mm. seen a cup bedazzled with a oh, mirror on it yeah, yeah long nails and a phd you know like a professor wow. yeah. uh and it disrupted all of academia for me because Mm. every other person in academia had bought into what does it look like to to Mm. dress smart and she said I don't care Mm. (laughs) and I loved it I lived for it it felt like okay if she can exist here I can exist here yeah and it gave me so much permission and to see her do things I'd never seen any professor do. Even she, we had like 
there was a professor who went by her first name. It was a white woman. Um, and she went by her first name and it was like a thing mm. that we all loved because not a lot of professors get really like hung up on titles. And right. so to have this female white professor be like, just call me my first name was interesting for me. <laughs> and she was very clear, like, no, it's professor always. I worked so mm. hard for this degree. The percentage of black women who get to do a degree at mm. this level, teach at this level, I have earned every right to be called fully Reverend Doctor. Mm, yeah, <laughs> All of that was yeah. like, oh my God, yeah. tell me what to do next. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm a I'm a sub <laughs> coming out in yeah. my real life, but it was it was just that, like just every and from that, like for her to recite Plato and Socrates and <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, ah. What is this heaven? Is this what it is? This God? Is this what it looks like? Is this what it feels like? It and and the worst part is so my program is it's a master's program and it was four mm -hmm. years long. It's pretty long for a master's program. Is double most master's programs in the country. Mm -hmm. um, she was out of the country for the first two years, and so mm -hmm. I was thankful for a long program like that where I wouldn't have probably met her if I had just right. done the two years master's program. Because then I had two mm. years with her when she came back. And I was mm. like, oh, I took every class, every yeah. class. <laughs> yeah, no, she sounds amazing. And, and to be honest with you, the, the concepts that you shared in that particular chapter, I had not really come across that, you know, just in, in my field and mental health. We, we talk about feminist theory and, you know, in, 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 in therapy and that approach. But you were talking about something completely different. <laughs> than what I had in mind when I when I when I thought about feminism yeah and not only that I think yeah. I think she encouraged me to mm. reach outside my field a lot and mm. she to supplement our classroom readings was so heavy theory we yeah. always read a fiction book mm. and that is also really radical because it contextualized theory immediately for us. And I think it's probably yeah. foundational to what I do now, which is like, hmm. there's a lot to be had in our stories. We don't need to just recite theory. We can hmm. just let the stories sing because they're hmm. gonna sing. Hmm. You just have to pick the right notes and yeah. then chart it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, she taught me a lot about like, go outside of your field. You're so much more vast than theology and ethics. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I agree. I mean, yeah, with, with the inner, you, you know, you just connected a lot of, of that theory, you know, and and with your personal story. So I could definitely see how it just, it just, everything clicks, you know, when you see it yeah. side by side with someone's story an yeah. experience yeah um you know I wanted to to ask you a little bit I I realized I didn't ask you to share a little bit about your your background your heritage yeah and you know your history here in in, in the U.S. yeah I was born in Managua, Nicaragua mm -hmm. in 1985 so that was like right when our revolution was wrapping up um, towards the end years um, were us and Haiti are two countries in the Western Hemisphere that have won our revolutions. 
and mm. are still the, the revolutionary leaders mm-hmm. are still in power, mm-hmm. but we're also the first and second poorest countries in the Western hemisphere. Mm. So uh, I grew up where the U.S. had placed an embargo on my country right when I was born. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a lot of childhood pictures because like even Polaroids, like like anything, film, diapers, formula, all that was impossible mm. to get and oh because goodness. we anybody who was allied with the u.s was banned from sending oh, anything okay. into the country and oh. that's that's my inception story mm. and um in 92 when i was seven my parents my dad's a musician and he um played at a church and mm. the church is very charismatic pentecostal very 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 conservative mm-hmm. there's only two genders men are the head of the household only Mm -hmm. men are spoken to by god so they're the only Mm -hmm. ones who can be pastors they're the only ones who can have that authority um and we were part of that church my dad is a really gifted musician um he was known for making organs speak oh Uh, Oh, wow yeah very talented yeah yeah he comes from about four or five generations of musicians Mm. um and so when he started playing at this church, of course, people were like, wow, our worship really has elevated. Yeah, yeah, wow. <laughs> and uh-huh. because he was so talented, the churches in North America, so we were a church plant that originally started as gospel outreach. So it was a okay. white church and white missionaries who started it. But then Latin American people filled it. <laughs> and there were church plants in the U.S. that were all Latinx. And all the ones in Latin America, we have a few churches in Africa, the content of Africa, a few churches in Spain. I mean, it's like an international big, big church. Mm, And my dad was brought to handle um, the music ministry internationally. So he was brought to Miami to write songs that were original mm-hmm. he made cds mm-hmm. uh i grew up in my in my little bubble he was kind of a celebrity mm-hmm. yeah. um and yeah i grew up in that context i was the dance leader uh at our church i i danced probably since i was 10 till 25 mm-hmm. i danced and was a dance leader in my from 16 to 25, I was exclusively teaching mm-hmm. dance at the church. Um, my brother plays the drums. He was uh, also a, a part of the ministry. Yeah. And we're just a church family. We, yeah. go to, we go to church four or five times a week. Mm. <laughs> Sundays are, you know, you're there for all the services till the very end, from the very beginning when it opens till the very end. We all go eat together, the whole worship team. And I, I that, those are my bubbles. I wasn't allowed to have friends who weren't Christian because it was said to, they believe that um, yeah. they would stray me into temptation. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, when I, I wasn't allowed to have boyfriends. I was only allowed to have somebody express interest of marriage to my parents. Oh and my goodness. then wow. we would get married really quickly. Mm-hmm. So be tempted like also oh my goodness um, yeah I went, I went on chaperone dates with my little sister <laughs> yeah uh, so that context really shaped my absolutely life and my relationship yeah. to resistance is tied to a lot of that 
Yeah, no, thank you for, for sharing that. It's just, it sounds um, just, it, it was the, it was your foundation, right? I think that yeah. that's where, you know, the foundation and I, I have a question to, because of that, is that why you decided to go into theology or had you already kind of separated from your parents' um, religious views when you decided to study uh, theology? No, I decided to study theology. Um, so I was an English major in undergrad because mm. I like reading. Yeah. It, it felt like just a fun field for me. And I didn't have to think about what that would, how that would translate to a job for a, a while. Yeah. Um, but I was an English major. And when you're mm-hmm. an English major, you have to read the canon. And so I read Milton mm. and Chaucer and Shakespeare, and they're all really having a lot of biblical references. And I thrived because I had mm. read the Bible like 17 times by the time I was an undergrad. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's amazing. So yeah. I love the Bible and yeah. literature. I love like, just like, oh my God, the, the, like, uh, yeah. Milton has a whole thing on Solomon, like rewrites the story of Solomon. And it's just, it was cool mm. for me. Mm-hmm. And I also, exp- I had gotten married and I experienced a miscarriage and, um, mm. I, the words that I was getting from my very conservative background, what my brother told me, uh, God just wanted another angel. And I was mm. like, I don't really love that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm suffering in mm-hmm. that. I think you think that's going to comfort me, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. Or my mom said, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I was like, well, mm. I don't think I can handle this. Like I had yeah. shaved my head at this point. Like I really, mm-hmm was I didn't know who to go to therapy yeah. wasn't yeah. on our radar <laughs> yeah. um and so I was like pain. yeah I was struggling and I said I'm gonna go study theology because I'm gonna find the answers that no one's giving me mm. and it gave me a lot more than that <laughs> yeah absolutely well that's that's a powerful story so I I I don't know if I if you shared that that specifically in the in the book I don't remember no. but uh, yeah I don't remember reading that but yeah it's that's powerful and, and it makes sense you know why you went into theology it was you were looking for healing really yeah. you were looking for, for some something like you said answer to what you you've been through yeah yeah. And how would you say that, you know, now looking back at, at your religious upbringing and, you know, and now where you're, where you're at, at, at this point in your life, what good, if any, you know, for you, what, what good did that foundation do for you now? How, in what ways is this, would you look back and say, okay, it helped me in, in such and such way because of now I, I do X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and I guess, I guess my one trying to say is how, how did it help you? Yeah. How did it help you now? You know, I know it, there were a lot of ways that it didn't, but if there is, was there anything that you feel like if it wasn't for that upbringing, religious upbringing, I wouldn't, you know, do X, Y, and Z or B or feel. I think it's helped my storytelling today because Mm. POC churches, like churches by Mm -hmm. us for us, um, cause the black church is, is similar to this. Mm. Um, the pastors are, mm-hmm. are like phenomenal storytellers ah, and, and, you know, yeah. when you feel a good sermon, yeah. when it's like, like, I come from a church where if the sermon is good, people bring cash to the altar. 
They like throw money mm. at the pastor, oh, <laughs> like kind oh of like a stripper. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. yeah, and and like the ushers That's... come and put baskets and collect the money, wow. just like a strip club too. <laughs> so like I come That's from an so oral, it's yeah. like strong oral traditions of of wow. great storytelling, and I I use a lot of the cadence of my yeah. upbringing when I'm telling stories. The repetitive look, and me mommy tells me to get out the sun, and me mommy tells me to put on sunblock. Oh. Like that repetitive cadence comes mm. all from that background. Oh, I love that. Yeah. They no, I had to preach. How to preach. Wow. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. I I I had not I, I didn't think you were gonna say I I know I <laughs> I know what you were gonna say, but I, I didn't see that. But yeah, you're right. I could you know, I also grew up going to church and at a you know Christian church. So I could now that you mentioned, like, yeah, they would tell amazing stories and the good sermons were the ones that had the be- you know the better stories really yeah 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 <laughs> I, I, we didn't have the the bucket or the money though that the part of throwing the money to the preacher that we didn't have that's that's fascinating that's... yeah and there's my dad would play uh-huh. um would stay on stage while the senior pastor would preach and he would like dun, 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 like he would add music to the specific cues so it's like you were listening to this amazing (laughs) storytelling yeah with musical (laughs) like he would add thunder and like it was like a whole show every Sunday yeah that's amazing that's yeah that sounds like (laughs) like a good church I mean you know if you're gonna go you want to go to that one it sounds very fun yeah and lively yeah absolutely that's that's something (laughs) <laughs> and you know it how um I know you you shared a lot about your parents and uh how you know did did after your book got published and you know you shared about your the, your, the relationship with your parents and your brother did it did anything um or has anything changed or has it progressed or has it healed you know I'm just curious if it helped you know in in some way in the relationship or in how you relate or how you think about your your family it's actually um I hate I hate this question because I know I disappoint Mm. people yeah (laughs) because I think people want to hear that it is like completely maybe altered Mm. our relationship but my parents haven't Mm -hmm. acknowledged that I wrote the book Mm -hmm. okay um nothing that I wrote they haven't seen before yeah but um, because the, so much of the currency in their context is appearances. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The truth telling aspect of my storytelling feels uh, mm. like vicious attacks to mm, them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so their coping skill has been to not acknowledge that it exists. And yeah, yeah. I've had to adjust <laughs> to mm-hmm. that yeah and, yeah and be okay with whatever whatever they need for this season in our lives absolutely no but you know what I I feel that even though you know maybe you know I think yeah I think most people want to hear that it you know that it, your relationship got better and it evolved but I think that what you describe right now is more in alignment to what what happens to a lot of people, regardless of the type of work that they put out there, anytime they bring some sort of exposure or they, or or parents perceive as, you know, you're, you're, you know, giving us a 
bad name, whatever it is that embarrasses our parents. Most of the time we think we're healing, we're doing this for ourselves. We're healing or we're putting good work out there. And most of, for most of us, and I don't know if it's cultural, I'm talking most of us because, you know, my background, my, my parents are Mexican, um, Latino, I come from a Latino family. And I think for most of us, that would be more in alignment to what happens, you know, just in the people that I know and the people that dare to speak up. I mean, we're talking about just speaking up on our, or or talking about something, you know, as atrocious as an abuse that happened. And it's like, oh my God, how could you even say that about so-and-so? You know, it's, it's still very ingrained in our culture, you know, to not bring shame to our family even when what we're saying is the truth and it needs to be said yeah 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 so so I think that you're so thank you for for sharing that and when it comes to your just healing you know from that sounds like you're a place of well this is what it is and we're you know I'm still moving forward you know with with what I'm doing how um what has helped you cope heal and continue you know continue on this path as a writer and and speaker um so I'm bi and so uh Mm -hmm. for me finding chosen family which came kind of naturally when I was coming out and discovering a lot of that or Mm -hmm. allowing myself to discover a lot of that um and so it's been that I have like I have friends who like ride or die for me. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I have friends who play surrogate um, maternal roles in my mm. life. I have friends who play surrogate sister roles. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's been really good, mm-hmm. especially after my divorce, when I like destroyed the idea of what like a family looks like and what your life mm-hmm. is supposed to look like the people that helped me move out, that helped me decorate my new place, that slept with me the first few weeks as I wasn't Mm. used to sleeping alone, uh, were those, like, all my gay friends Mm -hmm. (laughs) who, like, have held it down. And, like, I, they they filled my cup with a lot of love when I felt really unlovable. Mm, so beautiful and we all need we all need friends like that family chosen family like that yeah oh absolutely well I'm so I'm so happy you you found you found your 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 chosen family really more than friends yeah um you know Prisca I you know I, I just realized that the time I I want to thank you so much for again sharing with us sharing your story and can you do you mind uh, just sharing with folks where they can find you and where they can buy your book and all all that yeah uh, my book is available anywhere books are sold Mm -hmm. try to support your local Mm non-chain bookstore (laughs) Um, and I'm everywhere online as Prisca Dorcas which Mm -hmm. is my middle name uh, or the real Prisca Dorcas on TikTok but Mm -hmm. I try to I try to not, you know, become mm-hmm. a brand. I try to be a real person on these apps. Yeah. So <laughs> I have a lot yeah. of restrictions. If you find yourself unable to comment, it's because I have a lot of, like if you use certain words, it's mm-hmm. not happening. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm on these apps. Yeah. And I'm trying really hard to yeah. keep a hold of myself in this yeah. world of yeah. being online and writing your life out. 
Yeah, knowing you're doing an amazing job at it. So yeah, thank you. Keep sharing with us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Fiska. Thank you. Of course. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it. Share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us to stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on. You can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachettilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.